Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. It's a bit of a buzzword in the business world. What does it really mean to have a great team culture? Is it simply a team that gets along? A boss who shouts coffee in the morning or orders pizza on a Saturday? Often when I ask salon owners about their team culture, either they don't know whether it's good, bad, ugly, or they recognize that something's wrong, but they're just not quite sure why. Or maybe they think it's one bad apple bringing the whole culture down but it's out of their control and they don't quite know how to take responsibility for it. If we don't know what team culture means, what it looks like and how it manifests within our salon, then how do we know if our culture is bad? And if it's bad, how do we really know what's gone wrong and how to fix it? So today on the podcast, I am sitting down with leadership coach Shane Michael Haddon. Now Shane is an expert on all things culture and he shares with us what he has learned about defining culture in a business environment and the five conversations that you need to be having with your team to build, maintain and define not just a good team culture, but the team culture that reflects your values and your goals as a business owner. Because isn't that why you start a business in the first place? To create a great place of work that aligns with your values and your dreams. Culture is such an important element of that dream and it already exists in your salon, whether it's intentional or not. All right, let's jump in and meet Shane. Shane, welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Very pleased to have you here. Here we are. We're doing it. (laughs) Welcome. Uh, Shane, before we talk about this kind of super important topic, why don't you tell us who the heck are you? Where are you in the world? What do you do? How did you get to be doing it? It depends how existential you want me to get with this. Like, who am I really when I'm looking at my reflection right now? I'm having a kind of Zoolander moment looking like, who am I? Um, uh, Look, I would say I describe myself as Queenslander by birth, Melbourneian by choice. Um, And the two things I think that sum me up is curious by nature and creative at heart. So that's kind of how I describe myself to most people. Uh, But I'm, I'm in Melbourne right now. And uh, I guess what I do is I, I spend most of my life writing about leadership, culture, and communication. And then I take some of those concepts and ideas and I speak on stages around the world and I train teams and I help teams to be able to build remarkable leadership and culture within their organization. Love this. Give us a bit of a bird's eye view. What would a typical week for you look like? Oh gosh, I, I'm starting to wonder whether there even is such a thing as a typical week <laughs> that exists in my life. But look, I I mean, most days I would say um, from Tuesdays to Thursdays, uh, I spend my time in organizations um, and I, I work with teams. So it could be a, a workshop where we're talking about culture and how to build a culture within their team. Uh, it could be coaching leaders on, you know, public speaking or, or, or training, um, or it could be um, working them to develop their strengths within their team. And then Mondays, I tend to spend a little bit more time writing and um, getting a lot of my content uh, developed. And then I take Fridays, well, most Fridays off. I try to do a four-day work week, um, which I heard from someone who I was doing an interview a year ago. 
um, that they implemented a four-day work week. And I, I came home and I said to my wife, I'd love to do something like that. And she looked at me like I was an idiot. She was like, you work for yourself. Yeah. You can make that decision. And so as best as I can, I try to do a four-day work week, but I don't know, sometimes work creeps in on a Friday. Yeah. All right. I love that. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about like, what the heck is culture anyway? I feel <laughs> like as a salon owner, we start out on our own and really our focus is serve the client. And then somewhere along the way, we add a team member or two or three. And before we know it, we're leading a team intentionally or otherwise. And we've built a culture around ourselves without really realizing and sometimes can wake up and think, how the heck did we get here? The wheels are falling off. Um, I don't really know what's going on. Um, And so I would love to kind of identify what even is culture in the first place. We talk about must have a good culture, must have a good team environment. Maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a really good place for us to start the conversation. Um, I, I remember, so when I first moved to Melbourne, I've been in Melbourne for uh, 13 years now. When I first moved to Melbourne, it, it's a funny story because I, I ended up going to a hairdresser and seeing um, one hairdresser. And I, said, I basically said to him, I'm one of the most loyal customers that you'll ever experience. Um, and then he fled the country, which I don't know exactly know what happened. And so <laughs> I was loyal, but he left. And I happened to stumble across, um, uh, you know, a barber that was close by my house. And we sat down, we had a conversation. I said to her, I'm going to be one of the most loyal customers in your life. All I ask is that um, when I come in, just don't ask me what you want me, what, what I want to do with my hair, because um, I have no idea. And I, I trust that you're the expert in this. And she was working within a, a, a barbershop at the time. And we've been together now for nearly 11 years. Um, and so I, I legitimately kept my promise. I'm one of the most loyal customers. But one of the things I've experienced, I've watched her go from working within a shop to now having a team of people. And we've kind of walked a little bit of this journey together that a lot of leaders go on, which is someone who is excellent at what they do, gets really technically proficient. And then by default, because they're so good, they start to attract people around them that are also really good. And then all of a sudden they find themselves going from just being on the tools to then going, oh my gosh, I have to lead these people and try and figure out what on earth I'm doing. And I think most leaders experience a similar journey, which is I've spent most of my time, I guess, immersed in culture, which is this idea of, um, you probably said, I love the culture. I hated the culture or something about the culture. And then you have to sit there and go, oh my gosh, what on earth is culture? (laughs) And how do I, how do I, how do I make this thing? And so, I mean, last year I went on a bit of a journey around culture and we ran a research project with a thousand Australian leaders. And we asked them a whole bunch of questions. The first question we asked was, do you think culture is important? And 99% said, yes, it's critical to the overall success of an organization. I was like, yep, tick, makes sense. Second question was, um, do you know what culture is? 97% said yes. 0.1% said, I have no idea. And so what do you think the next question we asked them was? What is it? Exactly. Define yeah, it. Them, <laughs> please define culture for us. And I tell you, some of the answers that we got from it were just astounding. So people said things like it's the atmosphere of an organization. They said it, things like um, it's our you know, guiding behaviors or it's the soul of our organizations. People just said things like good, which was very confusing to me to read. Um, but the answer that was the most common, there was one in 10 people gave us this consistent definition. And I was like, that's a good definition, but it's almost a bit too good. And I looked up online and I just quickly typed define organizational culture into Google. And it was the number one definition that came up. And I think what it led us to understand was that culture is really easy to describe and talk about, but it's really, really hard to define. 
Um, and so what we did is we helped people understand like what are the elements that culture has in common? Because if we know what they are, then at least we're on this kind of common language of what culture is. I mean, if I was to get you to kind of reflect on your experience of um, what, what would you, how would you kind of define culture? Or how would you kind of um, explain culture to somebody else? I think from a team member's point of view, um, feeling a sense of belonging, uh, feeling safe and secure, feeling like there's some consistency around, like I know what to expect and it aligns mm. with me as a human. I feel like, I, I guess that's part of the belonging. If you're in a culture yeah. that you are happy in. Yeah. I mean, I love that. And I mean, so that you ticked off so many beautiful elements of what culture embodies and, and the impact of what that looks like for people in, a, um, in an organization. And the four things that we found culture had in common, there were 54 academic definitions of culture and they were all slightly different, but they all had some things in common. These were the four they had in common. Number one, every definition of culture always refers to something that is collective. And what it means is that if you are, if you have a team, you have a culture whether you've done something about it or not. And I often talk about, it's like, you can have culture by choice, which is something that we've designed or it's culture by chance, which is, it just happens to be a good culture because we've got really good people around us. So for people listening, like if you have a team of people, you have a culture, uh, good or bad or anything in between. The second thing that culture had in common was that it always referred to something which was a bit unseen. So there were these elements of like values and beliefs and assumptions and meanings that you couldn't touch or feel, but they were influencing culture, almost like an iceberg, that stuff below the water. Mm -hmm. um, the third thing is that culture always referred to something that was observable. So it had, it said things like behaviors and practices and systems and patterns, all of those things that you could touch and feel within an organization. And the last thing is that culture always referred to something which was learned. So we learn it from the people around us. So even though there's no definition, universal definition of culture, there's one thing I think we can understand about culture. And that is when people show up into a team environment, they're looking around and learning from everybody on the team. And especially you as the leader, they're, they're learning from you. And how do they learn? They look at what you do. They look at your behaviors. They look at your systems. They look at your practices. They look at all the things that are taking place. And they take that information and they try to interpret what they can't see, which is what do you value? What do you believe? What's meaningful here? And they want to change their behavior so that they can do exactly what you just said. I want to belong in this organization and I want to belong in that collective environment. So that's the system and the practice and pattern that's taking place every day in every organization, wherever a group of people are. And we kind of call that culture. Yeah. So then the next step is to what to define what is our culture because I'm sure you know like this is unique to everybody and to your point we want to be intentional about the choices that we're making rather than just by default ending up just because we're reactive situations or we haven't really thought about it deeply so how then if we've sort of defined now we know what it is mm. externally uh, sort of uh, from the outside how do we define what it is or we, what we want it to be yeah, such a good question. Um, one of my friends wrote a book, um, her name is Fiona Robertson, and she called it The Rules of Belonging, um, which I think is really nice because it kind of lines up a lot with what you were saying before, like culture is our rules of belonging. Uh, they're our rules that enable, like, what does it take to belong on this team? Um, and I think you probably have experiences with the people you work with. I see it all the time. We kind of spend most of our career, like, looking for a place to belong. And how do we fit in with an organization? But then as a leader, you actually create a team where people want to belong to. And so 
I guess a part of that initial conversation that you have to have with yourself as a leader is what kind of team do I want to be creating? Like what kind of space do I want to, to, to foster that people can want to belong to? And so we often kind of have this spectrum of healthy and toxic culture. That's typically the language that people use around that. And I, I kind of see it a bit of a different way. I think we have healthy and toxic behaviors. Maybe it's not always the same when it comes to healthy and toxic culture. And the reason why I say that is you could take something that, um, like if we take, take Salon as an example, that might be perfectly healthy in that culture. But then if we take that and put that into uh, in the medical field or education or somewhere else, or let's take something from the military and let's put that into kind of the, the Salon industry and go, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, those are two very different cultures. And so when we say like, creating culture by choice as a leader, you get so much freedom to design what is the culture that we want. And that's going to look different to even some of our competitors. It's going to look different to people who are in the same business as us. Well, our culture is whatever we choose for that culture to be. Yeah. Yeah. As long as it's defined uh, and then acted upon or enforced is not the right word, Shane, Mm. but uh reinforced maybe nurtured yeah Yeah, nurtured and reinforced yeah (laughs) one yeah yeah, I think I think you're right um one of the things that um one of my favorite quotes from Toria Leto she's an American psychologist and she has this phrase she says whatever isn't communicated is felt what's felt Mm. is interpreted and what's interpreted is often inaccurate and I think when it comes to culture if we're not explicit exactly what you just said if you're not explicit about this is our culture then what ends up happening is people interpret based on their behaviors or what they see. And then sometimes they get it completely wrong. I um, mean, have you ever had that experience where you go into an organization, you go, I did this because I thought that's what my leader wanted, even though they never said it. And then they got mad or upset or angry because I didn't do the thing that they really wanted. I was like, because it wasn't explicit. It wasn't communicated. <laughs> I think you're right. In lieu, of, in lieu of explanation and detail, we we fill the gap ourselves, right? Stepping yeah. into an environment. And I think the challenge with that is that everybody puts their own rose or blue or sad colored glasses or their own experiences across the interpretation. And so as a leader, you're not in control of those interpretations. That That is what yeah. they, your team bring to the table. And that's why there's this disconnect uh, when it's not um, explicit. So one of the challenges I've experienced myself as a leader and now helping salon owners is that the owner is the one that knows how it should be could be knows all the answers knows the technical skill um and so becomes the one that everybody goes to which kind of makes sense they're the leader of course but what happens when they're the go-to all the time and the one that has the answers is that everybody now is dependent upon them Mm. and I see this happen somewhere in the four to eight team members as as an owner is growing their business suddenly they're they're like the man in the middle of the road when the traffic lights are out and they've got the white gloves and they're going like this (laughs) directing traffic and it's exhausting uh, and there's no space to really do a, a, a good job so what are your thoughts around how do we move away from um I'm solving all of the problems for the people or I'm telling people what to do. Nobody's taking initiative here um, because that's not a nice culture for the leader to be leading. What are your thoughts around that? How can we shift that? Hey, are you loving this episode so far? Oh, by the way, it's Greta here, Salon Mastery Success Coach at Salon Owners Collective. So I wanted to pop in and ask you something. Do you ever feel like you are winging it when it comes to your business. You started your own business so that you could live the life you wanted with 
freedom that you wanted, earn great money and be a leader. But the reality is the amount of effort you're putting in isn't giving you an equal reward. You're exhausted and you don't know what to do about it. No matter what you do, you just can't seem to get ahead. You see other people winning and seeing success, but how come it doesn't work for you? You wish you had a clear laid out plan, something to guide you in the right direction or help you with what to do next. What can you do that actually works? In reality, many salon owners feel this way. You aren't alone. If you are nodding your head as you listen to this, then you need the Salon Mastery proven nine part plan to grow your salon. That's right, no more winging it. The Salon Mastery nine part plan has given hundreds of salon owners a plan to grow, build a rockstar team, attract dream clients, and become a salon CEO. Our plan will work for you too. To uncover the nine part proven plan, just click the apply now link in the show notes of this episode. Okay, now back to the episode. Can, can we be really honest um, for a moment? I mean, we're always honest, but let's be really, really brutally honest for a moment. It feels very nice to be needed in that way. <laughs> when oh, you're when so someone right. comes to you and says, you're hey, so right. you're so good at this. Could you help me? And and you go, oh, thank you. I am so good at this. I would love to help you with that. Um, it feels really good initially to give someone advice, um, but it doesn't help you and it doesn't help them. And I think you said it, I think the word you you used was dependency um, is if I have a problem and you solve that problem for me, I never need to develop the skills that it requires to solve that problem. And so as a result of that, that problem will show up again in another context or in another way. And when that problem shows up again, because I don't have the skills to solve it or to deal with that problem, what's the first thing I do? I go straight back to you and I say, Hey, can you help? And then you get that kind of immediate, maybe a little bit of ego, a little bit of validation to go, oh, my people need me. But what happens, and I think you would see this with some of the people you work with, we just don't have enough hours in the day to solve everybody's problems for them. When we're trying to run a business, we're trying to lead mm-hmm. a team, we're trying to keep customers happy, we're doing all of these things, you don't have time to solve everybody's problems. And I think probably the biggest shift that needs to happen is a short range to a long range perspective. In the short term, it's quicker to solve people's problems for them. Um, If you think about it, like if you have an answer, it's easier to give an answer than it is to ask a question. But long term, if that person continually comes back with the same problem in different contexts, it takes more of your time in the long run. So what I always encourage people to do is anytime someone comes to you looking for an answer, ask yourself, could I ask them a better question? And could I coach them rather than giving them straight to the answer? Now, you might be, there might be certain circumstances where you need to get an answer. I'd say if it's safety, like if you're in the room and there's a fire and someone's like, how do we get to the exit? And you're like, well, let's just like coaching moment. Like if you were going to be an exit, where would you be right now? Like wrong time to coach someone. But in that moment when someone's like, hey, this is a skill set, I need to have a difficult conversation. And you go, we'll go and say this, 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 and this. Rather than saying, go say this, this, and this, you go, hey, well, I mean, let's talk this through. Like, what do you think would be a helpful approach to this? What are some of the questions you could ask? Now that person starts to develop their problem-solving capability, and this is the big shift where you go, I'm no longer the team's problem solver. Now we're starting to develop a team of problem solvers. Yeah, I love that. Um, And I remember the day, Shane, when I had my salon and my phone stopped ringing. 
because I put the work in. I knew I needed to step out of being from the center. I led the leaders, the, the team leaders to do the things they needed to do. And it was always my goal. And I stepped away from the business. And I remember looking at my phone and thinking, when's someone going to call me and ask me a question? <laughs> and I felt the pain of not being needed. I celebrated at the same time, but I really felt the the gap or the empty mm. space of not, they don't actually need me. Ah, oh, <laughs> what am I contributing now? <laughs> so I really understand that. Um, but mm. I think it's something to be celebrated. You've achieved something if you yes. are not needed. And I think uh, that ultimately is kind of my goal for leaders is to help them reach that place. And then there's a new problem. Mm. I have some white space I need to fill. <laughs> this is a good problem. This is a um, good problem to have. But I think that the, the needed part is an interesting one. And I think what, what you touched on is that feeling of not being needed is you're actually not needed in certain aspects of your job because you're needed in new areas of your job. And I often think about it like if you were to put a, a pin in the map on Google Maps, um, all of a sudden everyone has the pin in the map. But you might go, well, I'm going to take this route to get there. And someone goes, well, I might take that route to get there. And it's like, well, which one is right? I'm like, well, they're both going to get you to that destination. And as a technical expert, you spend most of your time creating routes. And then all of a sudden you're a leader and your job is to put the pin in the map and tell people where they're going. So your needs you're still needed, but you're needed in very different ways. And when you get out of the route, you can spend more time on the pin and it helps people go, okay, I know exactly where we're going now. I love that analogy. That's that's really good. And it is a little bit about recalibrating expectations of yourself and yourself as yeah. a leader. And even socially, Shane, when people say, well, what do you do now? What, you know, yeah. like you don't even work inside your business or whatever. <laughs> I, I think, you know, there's a little bit of, you have to recalibrate your own level of success. So, um, yeah. okay, let's just touch on quickly when we find ourselves and we've recognized that culture is out of alignment with ourselves, uh, our team aren't are feeling disconnected from what really I wanted to, how I wanted to build them my business, the picture I built for mm. myself, or even your own values. And now you have to backtrack a little bit. How can we tackle that position? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is where it gets really practical. Like let's, this is where it really gets, you know, feet on the ground, hands in the mud. Like let's really get kind of nitty gritty with this because I think when you when you recognize the culture that you have is not the culture that you want, or you want to take the best parts of your culture and enhance that, I would suggest that the answer to all of our biggest challenges is usually a, a communication um, solution. And I would suggest most of the time, our biggest problems are a re result of a lack of communication and our, our biggest answers are a solution in communication. And so um, I, I've found that there are five conversations you can have with a team that help bring culture to life and then help shape culture. And I would say the first two are, our conversation with your team that goes something like this. The first one is to have a conversation about your expectations um, because they change over time. And the simplest question you could ask is say to your team, Hey, I'm going to ask these really simple questions. Number one, um, what do you expect of me as a leader in this team? Number two, what do you expect of the other team members on this team? And number three, here's what I expect of you. And so when this comes back to our conversation before about problem solving, when this comes to, um, to the way that we do work together, expectations, we all carry them about other people, but they're very rarely ever mentioned or communicated. So I, I was at a conference recently and someone said, I said, what's your expectation? And she said, well, I expect that when someone goes to the morning tea room, that they make me a cup of tea when they go to. 
And I said, oh, what's that about? And she said, collaboration. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I I'd never even considered that that was even a thought that someone would have. And someone, I imagine she's sitting there every single time someone walks past and goes to the morning tea room and makes themselves a cup of tea. They walk back past her and they don't have one for her. And she's sitting in her seat getting so frustrated and angry. But yet not a single person on her team had even a single clue that that was what she expected. And I've worked with teams that have been together for a decade. And I, I will hear people on teams say, you know what, I've worked here for 10 years and no one's ever asked me what I expect of my leader or my team. So that's a starting point. I really love that because, again, it's kind of under the iceberg, these unknown things and the meaning that she had placed on that cup of tea uh, to anybody else was just a cup of tea. Uh, But she actually placed a lot of value on what that really meant. And that's actually a really easy way to show somebody that you value them or, you know, that you want to collaborate with them. Like that's an easy one. If only she, if only they knew. If only they knew. Yeah. I mean, and, and, When we kind of start to make our expectations explicit, it allows us to do one of two things. It allows us to say, oh my gosh, I I expect that too. And you start to identify common themes in your culture. So you might say, everyone's like, you know what, we we expect that when, um, you know, when, when a person is struggling to kind of keep up with the workload that other people would chip in and help out um, and that we would have each other's back. And, and, And as soon as you say that out loud, they go, yeah. Yeah, I expect that too. And all of a sudden you find this commonality in language and you go, yes. Or the other thing happens, which is someone says something and goes, that is such an unrealistic and unfair expectation. You know, your <laughs> boss says, I expect you to be here at seven in the morning, but we're going to pay, not going to pay you until nine. And you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Like, let's actually talk that through. And by having that, just that one conversation, you immediately find commonality and you're allowed to, you find ways to reframe the unhelpful expectations within your team. Um, a good example, someone said this to me recently, like when you're a leader of a team, you do things that your team don't see and mm-hmm. you make these interpretations because you don't see them. And, and you go, my, my my leader, my team leader hasn't spent any time with me in the last week and they don't care about me. They don't prioritize me, but they don't see that you're dealing with all of these ER issues. They don't see that you're dealing with all these supplier issues. They don't see the stuff that you're dealing with. And there's that distance. And so um, when you have this conversation about expectations, you go, well, I expect that you would be checking in with me daily. And you go, well, actually, can we talk that through? Because I don't know if we've got the capacity to do what you're expecting of me, which allows us to either change your expectations or you go, actually, maybe this is not the right place for me. Yes, I love that. Clearly (laughs) defined expectations, it kind of just removes all confusion and innuendo out out of the way. All right, I, I know there's five. Why don't you give us one more? Um, and what would that be? I would say beyond that, it's finding ways to take those expectations, find the common themes that exist within those and identify three or four. So you might say in our team, we have this team together. We identified a set of core expectations and we went, you know what we really care about? We care about the way that we treat each other in terms of the way that we respect one another. We really, really care about the way that we support and we we really care about transparency. So it might just be respect, support and transparency. The three things that are most important to our culture right now. The next question I would say is what on earth does that mean? And what does that look like in practice? And for me, that's a clarification conversation. So you just say to your team, okay, if we were to commit to three or four observable, explicit behaviors as a team over the next three to six months, that would help create a more respectful, transparent and supportive environment and culture. What does that look like? 
And the whole purpose behind this is making sure that your team can work together towards the same thing, doing the same actions and activities. Because um, if I said to you, go out and be respectful today, you might have 10 people do 100 different things. But if we said we want to create a, a more supportive culture and you had five people doing three things consistently, I tell you what, that would move the needle on the culture in your organization. Yeah, for sure. And um, knowing what success looks like uh, yes. in different environments, like how do we do that with our client service? How do we do that with each other as a team? How do we do that when we're talking about the brand out in the rest of the world? Getting really explicit and, and detailed in different situations. Yeah. It just it, it gives them exactly the pathway to success, right? Yes. It, it helps us put our collective effort behind a small number of things that will yes. help shift the culture. I think that's a good sort of business principle in any case, right? I think often as a business owner, we think must solve all problems. All things <laughs> must be perfect. And we bite off too much um, yeah. and try to be all things at all times, which is actually pretty unrealistic. What you're saying yeah. instead is just choose three, the top most important ones and do them really well. And kind yeah. of the rest will fall into place. Yeah, you can do it all. You just can't do it all at the same time. So I, I definitely think these things come together and you don't have to say, well, we're not going to focus on this aspect of our culture. You can, you just can't do it all at once. So I would say pick three things that are most important to your culture right now that your team have collective buy-in for, put your effort behind it. And in six months go, Hey, have we shifted the culture around this? And if we have, let's pick something else. I go, okay, great. Right now we really need to focus on the way we support one another. Okay. Let's really get our expectations on the table about support. And let's talk about what those behaviors look like. Um, and if we get those behaviors into, into really kind of concrete behaviors that we can do one of two things, celebrate when we see or confront when they're misaligned, we can, mm -hmm. we can catch people doing something right and we can catch people doing something wrong. And those two things are going to help shape that culture by design. Yeah, I love it. Now, Shane, you're a business owner. What is a quote or a mantra or something that keeps you on the straight and narrow, focused and aligned? Gosh, I, you know what? It's, it's going to sound really um, quite confronting, but I think it's really important. It, one of my favorite quotes or, or mantras is this idea that um, it's by T Todd Gurner and uh, Steve Gurner and Todd Whitaker. And they said, the culture of any organization is determined by the worst behavior that the leader is willing to tolerate. Um, and that always sticks with me, which is if you've got behaviors in your organization or your team that are not helping you build the culture you want by ignoring them and overlooking them, you're basically saying to people, this is okay. This is our culture. Yeah. That's a, a harsh and confronting truth <laughs> for yes, sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I know that this conversation is going to spark some fresh thinking. What is a, a book, a podcast, a resource, something that you've had your hands on recently that you think all salon owners need to get their hands on? What can you suggest? <laughs> Look, there's one book that's an absolute go-to recommendation for me, and it's um it's called Super Thinking, and it's by Gabriel Weinberg and Lauren McCann. And the reason why I love it is a, it's a book full of mental models. It's it's basically a book that helps you to kind of create and and think through a whole whole series of mental models. I would suggest every leader needs a repertoire of mental models that they can lean on to help them navigate, whether it's culture, leadership, business, coaching, um, you know, entrepreneurship. They need mental models to lean on because they just help us to make decisions better and mm. faster. So get hold of that one. I think that's a good one. All right. Um, I'll make sure we have uh, a link to that in the show notes of this episode. Shane, you have a book. Maybe you want to mention that now too. 
I do. I do. It's a book called Let's Talk Culture, uh, the conversations you need to create the team you want. And I wrote it for people to find a pragmatic way to approach culture because culture can feel so fluffy and abstract and unknown. And what I do is I help people understand what on earth is culture and what are the conversations that will help us shape culture. And so it's full of, um, I guess, practical guides and a facilitated guide with questions you can ask of your team to create culture. Amazing. We shall definitely put that in the show notes. I want you to get your hands on it. Uh, I'm going to do the same for myself. All right. I feel like we've identified like what the heck is culture and we've defined that as a something tangible that we can take back into the business. We've talked about not being in the center of the business and, and how we can uh, make people a little bit more self-sufficient and um, get the white gloves off. Um, <laughs> and also some steps when we feel like we're out of alignment, how we can get back in and a couple of starting places for that. So I think this has been a super useful, tactical, practical podcast episode. I appreciate it. Where can we find you and stalk you, Shane? <laughs> stalk me anywhere shane m m for michael hatton shane m hatton is pretty much where i i hang out in every social media platform so you'll find me anywhere um and that's the same shanemhatton.com so search shane m hatton you'll find me somewhere depends on what kind of side of me if you want my more professional side it's linkedin you want my a bit more casual side it's instagram if you really don't want to um, anything related to that at all you can find me on tiktok but definitely don't follow me on tiktok i don't really hang out there <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely not a professional side of me. <laughs> I love it. All right. Look, I really appreciate today's conversation. It's been super valuable. Um, it's been great to have you. Oh, it's been such a privilege. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, thanks so much for jumping on the podcast and sharing such valuable insights into this elusive nature of teen culture. I think one of the biggest takeaways from that chat is realizing that if you have a team you have a culture, whether that culture is an intentional culture or whether it just happens. And it's actually up to you. And before you go, I just wanted to recap on the five practical conversations that Shane gave us to build and maintain team culture in your salon. So number one conversation is, what do you actually expect from me as a leader? Number two, what do you expect from each other, from your teammates? Number three, what do I expect from you as an employee and sharing that? And what are the core expectations that define the culture of your business? What's important to you? And finally, what two or three elements of culture are the most important and the most vital to running a business that aligns ultimately with your vision and your goals as a salon owner? So if you're not having this conversation with your team, then you need to be having them. Now, what was that quote from Tony? What isn't communicated is felt and what is felt is interpreted and what is interpreted is often wrong. I so agree with this. It is often wrong from the intent that you actually have. So I agree with this completely. I've experienced it over and over again. If team culture in your salon needs a shake-up and you'd like some help, then please maybe Salon Mastery or the Momentum Program is right for you. The link to apply is in the show notes of this podcast episode. It's on www.salonownerscollective.com. Just hit the podcast button and you shall find. Let's chat and let's see if I can help. All right. Otherwise, I look forward to tuning in with you same time, same place on the podcast. Ciao for now. <laughs>